this is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's show, we are continuing our A24 retrospective. In the first two shows we did on the distribution company, we looked at the first and second releases by them. Today, we are jumping ahead to their latest film. David Lowry's The Green Knight was originally scheduled to premiere at the South by Southwest Festival back in March of 2020. Unfortunately, that fest was one of the very first things to be canceled due to COVID. Lowry then spent the next six months re-editing the film to his satisfaction, and after numerous delays, it finally came out on July 30th in North America. While we won't be spoiling the entire movie, we will be freely discussing most points of the show. Oh, greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will beat thee. So if you have not seen it yet, I advise waiting until you do so. That all said, Rachel, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm I'm excellent. Um, so this is this is going to be an interesting one. You actually saw this ahead of its wide release at a press screening, and yep. you struggled with writing your review on Exclaim, <laughs> which I'll link to it in the show notes for everyone to read. And and you're you're really battling with how to write this thing, and you figured that. In order to discuss it here and, I guess, finalize your opinions on it, you needed to watch it a second time. So you went on opening weekend this past weekend and saw it again. And now I'm going to ask you, have your thoughts on the film materialized or crystallized any better seeing it a second time? Uh, no, is my answer <laughs> to that. A big no. Um, I mean, I'm assuming everybody who's listening to this has watched it. And I think, like, there's an understanding of it's it's a it's a different movie. It's a very tricky movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm incredibly divided on it. On one hand, it's incredibly like technically we, I was saying this to you before, like it's technically brilliant. Like it's near flawless in terms of um, sound design and cinematography and music and, you know, all those and performances, like everything it, it works but it's just the movie itself. Like I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time with it. Like I'm, I'm not sure. Do I love it? Do I hate it? I don't hate it. I know I don't hate it. Um, but I'm not sure if I, if I, if I like it, like, I don't know. Mm. Where, how did you fall? So you watched it uh, just last night on uh, opening weekend. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting where, uh, you know, you would text me and you're like, I don't know how I feel about this movie. I don't know if I love it. <laughs> And I'm like, oh no, oh oh no! Like this, this is my, probably my most anticipated movie of the year. There, there's a couple other ones right up there, you know, doing the French Dispatch yeah. or stuff like that. But this would probably be in the trio of the most anticipated for me. I love David Lowry. I love a ghost story, and I love. I, I didn't love uh, the Old Man and the Gun, but I thought it was a, a pretty good movie. A nice Robert Redford throwback vehicle for him. Uh, but yeah, Ghost Story was one of my favorite. It was my favorite film that year that it came out, and so I'm, I was really excited because you know the reviews were coming out that were like. 
hey, as a heads up, this is not, you know, uh, your medieval action, swords and sandals type of movie. This is a very Mm -hmm. meditative, contemplative film where not everything makes sense. It's going to be kind of confusing, but it's going to be a real treat to look at. And I'm like, okay, hey, you know, ghost story. (laughs) A lot of people really didn't like that because it was a slow, weird movie uh, that was supposed to be about ghosts, but it's not. It's more about the passage of time and what that means to humanity and all that sort of stuff. And so I was like, great, this sounds like it's going to be right up my wavelength. And then, you know, the movie finished and, you know, basically the last half of the movie, uh, I was sitting there with like my hands clasped with like my, my fingers yeah. propping up my chin being like, mm-hmm, yes, I see like a therapist listening to someone. <laughs> and at the end of it, I'm like, and I don't know if I came out ahead anymore and so it's just one of those movies where every once in a while you get really challenging like okay great i want to read some reviews about this hear what other people are thinking maybe it can help galvanize myself i went and i read your review right away i read david ehrlich's review on indiewire i believe right away excellent review by both of you and that really helped me a lot of kind of like putting things into context and then you know just kind of scrolling through letterbox and sort of seeing what other people are saying and just being like okay you know what i I think i do quite like this movie like you mentioned, technically it's a real feat, but then it's how does the story sort of all connect? And, uh, and it almost reminds me a little bit of, I'm thinking of ending things where I finish that movie where I'm like, I yeah. think I like this, but I need to understand it a bit better. And, you know, after listening and reading some stuff that really helped me understand the movie better. And it became one of my favorites. And I think this is the type of movie where I think it could become one of my favorites of the year, but I might need to watch it a second time and continue reading and listening to other smarter people than myself. Well, first of all, happy that you went to me before David Ehrlich. Like that's of course. obvious. Obviously, that's what everybody obviously. should be doing. <laughs> Once again, plugging that on explain.ca. <laughs> Check it out. Um, you know, the, the expectation thing, like I think that's that's the biggest struggle that I had was the first time. And, and it kind of leads to why I, I, I felt the need to watch it a second time so quickly, too. Like I, I did the screening on a Monday and then by the Saturday, like the following Saturday, I watched it again. Um, and I I wasn't expecting like a Ridley Scott, you know, massive, big gladiator, Troy-esque battle. Like that's not what I was thinking, but I kind of, because uh, under the A24 banner, you know, it's not just going to be that, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. just going to be straightforward where there's a bad guy and there's a good guy and they're just going to fight it out and the good guy's going to win. Like, you know, you know that going into Nay 24, you know, that's not going to be, um, that's not going to be their movie. But I kind of thought there would be more, more of that, like more action. I thought it would be like, kind of like those movies, but with an A24 twist, I guess is the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, it's honestly completely, there's no, there's no movie like this, especially um, a medieval movie. There's no m- medieval movie like this. And like to, to the credit of David Lowry and, and everyone who worked on it, I think it's, it's a really big feat what they've accomplished there. But I watched it a second time. Cause I thought I may, maybe I'm judging it unfairly. Like, I, cause, because my expectations were a certain thing. I can't, you can't knock a movie for not meeting your expectations. Like I, I don't, I personally don't believe in that. So I thought, okay, now that I know what the movie's about, I'm going to go watch it a second time. And 
my like I've I've adjusted everything. My expectations are adjusted. I know what I know what I'm getting myself into. So like settle in and watch it. Mm-hmm. And I have to say on my second watch, it didn't like it still didn't really click. Like it didn't I I didn't watch and be like, damn, like I really misjudged this movie. This is this is incredible. Like what a what a work of art this is. I just kind of watched it and went, okay, like I see what they're doing here. I see what they're going for. Um cool i guess like i i don't know i i i i'm i like that the movie has created such strong reactions though like i think that that's kind of one of the early questions that we talked about in the very first episode was like what what makes an a24 movie and i think one thing i don't i don't think i know i definitely didn't say it and i don't know if you said it um but it's it creates a strong it generates their movies generate a strong reaction it can be a reaction of like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Or what kind of piece of crap is this? Like, this is just sometimes for the same movie. Yeah. It, this movie in particular, I mean, like green Knight has created a real divide. And I actually think it's going to be one of those movies that I don't really follow rotten tomatoes, but um, I feel like it's going to be one where the, the, the rating for the, um, the critics is really, really high. And then the rating for uh, audience is going to be low, lower, well, definitely lower at the very I can minimum. answer that for you right now. I have this okay. on, on Wikipedia. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 89% rating, which is pretty high. Yeah, uh, very high. Average rating of 8.1 out of 10, which is even better. But then you very look good. at the cinema score, which uh, polls people of asking them to give a, a, a movie between an A and an F rating. And it has a C plus from audiences, which to be fair, cinema score usually is done at like generic, you know, mass events where it's just like, Hey, come see this movie. Now tell us what you think about it. It's not like, you know, it's not like, Hey, a 24 fans. What do you think of this movie? Cause it all would be an a plus yeah. So yeah, cinema score is an interesting one. You know, uh, every once in a while, there'll be a movie that gets an F from them. And like, it's like this huge thing. Like I remember when mother got an F and that was a big deal. And so that really was like a big talking point for that movie to come out. It usually is movies like this where it's not very straightforward. You don't quite understand exactly what's happening. And in the Mm -hmm. end, you're kind of left with more questions than answers. Those types of movies don't do very well for cinema score yet on the flip side, I can see on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 89% fresh rating. That's fantastic. Is that a fresh rating for both critic and audience? Like they they put them together. So the other one that I was thinking about was um, the lighthouse. Like I feel like uh, we'll we'll obviously at some point get into the lighthouse. Um, but I feel like that was a movie that would have you know I'm looking at the yeah I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes right now for it and <laughs> it has a ninety percent tomato meter, but the audience score is seventy two. And here we've got 89% for the for critics and 54% for audience. So there you go. And it doesn't surprise me because it like this is the kind of movie like my very first instinct when I when I came out of the the press screening I was like this is a movie that critics are going to love it and people who are cinephiles are going to love it. Like if you if you, you know, consider yourself a cinephile or like somebody who likes like movies like a real movie lover i feel like is gonna like it and i i, I kind of hate saying this because i feel like it's very patronizing but when it comes to like mass audiences a wider audience it's just not it's not going to be something that clicks and 
you know, I don't, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I don't know. But I, I do like, you know, that it, it creates a reaction. I think that that's kind of, that's a cool place for like somebody like David Lowry to be in that you can create these movies that it's not, it's, it is like people love it. And when you love it, you really love it. But when you hate it, you really hate it. And I would think that for like a filmmaker, that's a pretty sweet spot to be in. Yeah. I would like that if I, if I had the, any aptitude to make a film, I, I like that to me would be like a pretty cool spot to, to live in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think I'm going to get through some of the key details of this movie now, mm-hmm. and then we can kind of get into more plot specific points. So obviously normally when we're doing these shows, we're, we're looking back at movies that came out several years in the past, but obviously this just came out on July 30th, 2021 directed by David Lowry. It stars Dev Patel as Sir Garwin, Alicia Vikander in a dual role as Essel and the Lady, Joel Edgerton as the Lord, Sarita Chowdhury as Garwin's mother, Sean Harris as the King, Kate Dickey as the Queen, Ralph Innocent as the Green Knight, Barry Keoghan as the Scavenger, and Aaron Kellerman as Winifred. So the plot summary, this <laughs> typing this up was also a little bit difficult. I'm like... Do I just explain everything? But um, (laughs) young Sir Garwin wants to become a knight. And on Christmas Day, he goes to a party hosted by his aunt and uncle, the queen and king, respectively. While he feels like an imposter in a room full of legendary knights of the round table, his aunt and uncle tell him that he needs to make his own legend. His mother, not present at the party, conjures up some magic that summons a mysterious green knight to the castle and wants to play a game. Whoever is brave enough to land a strike against him will then have to find him a year later to receive the exact same blow. Garwin, realizing this this is his opportunity to make a name for himself, stands up and beheads the monstrous knight. At first, the tale of the Green Knight Killer makes Garwin famous, but no one knows what he has coming. He then goes on a journey to find the knight and face his destiny. And then lastly, how did A24 acquire this movie? Normally, A24 just distributes films, but in the last few years, they've been involved from the beginning. After distributing David Lowry's 2017 film, A Ghost Story, they were involved from the start as an investor and distributor of this film. So I think one of the key things to talk about is I mentioned at the top that after the delay of this movie, David Lowry spent the next six months re-editing the film to his liking. Was those six months used well, or do you think it just maybe muddled the waters and made things much more confusing for audiences? That's really hard to say without seeing... The original one. I would love it if this came out on DVD or DVD. What am I talking about? It's going to come out on Blu-ray. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> At least I didn't say. What? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like something fancier than a DVD. Um, but I would love it if they include that cut. I don't know if he wants people to see it because maybe it's, you know, maybe he thinks that this is much better. But I do you know what the details are of like what it in and around? Like, what did he edit? What what areas was he looking at of like tightening or loosening or no adding? Idea. No, I don't. It's interesting. I, I like for a movie like this that it is so unique and so abstract. I would love to see what else he was kind of different ways that he was looking at it in in his interpretation. And I believe there are some critics who did see it last year in uh, March of 2020, just before everything locked down. So it would be. It, I saw somebody tweet about it, and I wish I had bookmarked it because it would be really interesting to see what their responses are um mm. about how it changed you know because i that to me is always really interesting i love a director's cut how do you feel about director's cuts do you like watching them um not really most of the time i feel yeah. they're they're pretty superfluous and don't really add anything the only time that i feel that it really 
did anything was for Blade Runner, the original one. Um, mm, okay. Where, where he removed the narration and, and stuff like that and, and um. made it more to his vision. Other than that, like most of the time, like I know it's it's so trendy right now with, with the Zack Snyder Justice League stuff going <laughs> on and now the subsequent David Ayer Suicide Squad stuff that's popped up where we want to believe that directors are these you know, infallible people and those damn studio heads come in and muck everything up and ruin the creative <laughs> process, completely forgetting the idea of sometimes, you know, directors don't know everything. Very often they've been working on a project for so long that in their own head, they have all the answers. But when you watch it as an outsider with fresh perspective, you can look at them and be like, hey, this is not a very good product. You need to change things around. And that's what studios are for. And so many people now, fans, are so obsessed with this idea of, of the director has the perfect vision and they all, they're mm-hmm. always right. And I, and every time that, especially the conversation, like that's why I have no interest in watching Suis, uh, sorry, Justice League. That was a bad movie to begin with. Adding two extra you say hours you to a bad don't, movie. You don't want to sit better. down? You don't want to sit down for four hours and watch a no. lot of slow motion. No. Slow motion for four hours. I actually did. I I watched it twice. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> by all by all accounts, it is a decent movie, and like a lot of people, I know yeah. a lot of people are a fan of it, and so that it does greatly improve the original movie. But the problem is improve it to what extent and so this mm-hmm. idea of, of a director is infallible and they need to only have directors cuts and all this sort of stuff just that's a that's a load of baloney for me there's there's only been a handful of movies where it usually happens when there is behind the scenes stuff involving the studio not necessarily the director but the studio so things like uh you know presidents changing hands and the new president wants nothing to do with this movie so they kind of chop it all up because they don't like it mm-hmm. as the predecessor's work and stuff like that. I think of something like Kingdom of Heaven, which very similarly mm, yeah. to this movie is a more of a meditative tale and nothing like Troy, which it was being marketed as. And so it got all chopped up for its original release. And then later when it Ridley Scott was able to redo the edit, did it become a better film? That's maybe a bit of a, a trend with Ridley Scott. <laughs> oh, he's wait, very is, appropriate Tony Scott? i don't know it, it, it was one of the scott brothers it was a scott brother yeah yeah i like a director's cut out of kind of i guess curiosity is the best way to say it. it's like i like watching it and then watching the original and just saying what is it like what what did they think that should be cut like what did they mm-hmm. feel like would be different and sometimes it's honestly it's not it's not that different. You know, I want Midsommar, um, Ari Aster's director's cut. I actually really like his, but there are a lot of scenes that got cut that you're like, yeah, I can see why this isn't here. But then there were also a couple scenes where I'm like, oh, that that scene is helpful because it helped move the story along or it helped understand a character's motivation a little bit better. Um, I mean, Snyder cuts like that's whatever in <laughs> the air cut. Those, those are completely different beasts, I think. But for the Green Knight in particular, it's like it's one of those movies that because it is so artistic, it is so art house. I would just be like, I would be incredibly interested to see what his original cut was and why, why he thought like a director's commentary for this movie would also be very insightful um, of understanding like where he thought a change could be made and what kind of changes. Like I'm kind of watching it thinking, what could he have changed? Like, is it in the, like a, not a there's not jumping i don't want to ruin too much but like it's i'm I'm just curious where he thought it could be changed you know yeah but 
And and it sounds um, like based on a A24, they're not a very hands-on studio mm-hmm, to begin with. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if what had happened was Lowry knew he had the South by Southwest premiere date, that that was when he needed to have a cut submitted by. So it was a bit of a rush job. And then mm, yeah. he was probably further trimming it down, taking stuff out rather than adding stuff in once he got the extra six months to do this. This sounds like these are both director's versions, not that like, oh, this, you know, the first one's the A24 yeah, cut true. and the second one's the Lowry cut. No, this just sounds like this was just a director sort of being given a little bit more time in the edit room, which very often we sort of hear that where a movie will get delayed just a little bit more, um, where it was supposed to play at a festival and they end up not being able to make the festival or whatever, or they'll play the festival and be like, hey, as a heads up, when the movie comes out, it's going to be a little bit different from what you see here. It's a, it's like that idea of tinkering as well, right? Like, um, I mean, if if you've ever watched the league have you do you watch did you watch the league when it was out it's about like the fantasy football they talk about tinkering all the time like tinkering with your lineup and i think anybody if like if you you know write for a living or if you um do presentate like create presentation decks or a graphic designer for example like that's perfect it's um or even if you do like spreadsheet stuff like you can keep going in and changing it and changing it and changing it when they give you more time and there has to come a point where you just go like okay i gotta stop because it's like it's getting too much. And like you said, like at the beginning, that's kind of what a studio is there to do is to tell you like, you, you got to stop now. Like it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's perfect the way it is. And I feel like any filmmaker, if you keep giving them extended periods of time, they will just keep going back and changing it and changing it and changing it. And yeah, I, I like, I agree with you though. I think that it, it is both of them are, are the Lowry cut. There is no release. The Lowry cut. We have seen a Lowry cut. There's just another Lowry cut. Um, and I, yeah, I'd be, would you watch it if, if, uh, if he released his original version? Probably not. You know, I, if, if the director is saying, Hey, this was not my intended vision. I eventually got to the place that I was satisfactory with. Then, you know, that's the one that's the cut. Like what I, I, I don't, I don't know what could be so different yeah like what i imagine this movie does not have a lot of dialogue what i probably imagine Mm -hmm. most is he was probably taking out dialogue yeah true true that is that's a good point yeah there's very little dialogue in this yeah so i guess i guess let's kind of talk about maybe some some actual scenes or moments i think right from the get-go this movie opens on a shot of of dev patel uh as, as garwin sitting on uh, a throne and a crown lands on his head and then he bursts into flames and we get this voiceover saying that the tale isn't really the tale that you want to be hearing and kind of right from the get-go we get this sort of like imagery dreamlike imagery where you almost can't believe what you're seeing and so i think mm-hmm. it's very interesting where a lot throughout this movie you're watching it and you don't know if it's real or not, or or what's magic and what's not. So there's so many there's so many moments where you're wondering, is this actually happening, or is it all in my head? Is it all in the character's head? What what exactly is happening right here? And so I think that's been a, probably one of the biggest struggles a lot of people will face watching this movie is when you're describing it, you go, it may or may not have actually happened. I don't know, and that kind of makes it hard to levy a judgment against a film if you don't know what you're watching is actually happening. Yeah, I didn't think about that because for me, whenever there's like an ambiguous, who knows if it's real, who knows if it's not, to me that's like part of. Usually, that's part of why I like a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I like the the kind of the question mark behind it, and I like being able to talk to other people about like, well, what do you think? Like, do you think it was 
it was actually happening? Do you think it was magic? Do you think it was a dream? Do you think like whatever, so on and so forth? Um, but about that first scene, I love that opening. I don't know about you, but I thought like him like bursting into flames. I remember the, when I sat there and watched it, like you, I, 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 this was a very highly anticipated movie on my list for the year. And when that scene happened, I just was like, oh, this is going to be good. Like I was really like, this is going to be awesome because I really, really enjoyed that opening scene. It almost sort of feels like every five minutes in this movie, you kind of wish you're like, I wish there was a high quality print of this so that way I can blow it up and put it on my wall. I'll say one of my biggest um, kind of pluses on this movie, one of the things that I love about this movie so much is there are so many shots in this that and Lowry does it really smartly. Like he like pauses on certain frames and they look like like artwork like, like it looks like yeah and it's it's like it looks like a renaissance painting a lot mm-hmm. of the scenes like it's gorgeous the way he does it and i love that he and this was like on a second watch that i noticed was like he really takes the time to pause like he doesn't just go oh like that's cool like he really pauses for a few seconds to just really get you to be like look at how flipping gorgeous this is look um, at how competent and, i am as a director yeah and good on him if i were that competent i would do the same damn thing like it, it's yep. really nice and like i i love the way that he does that because you're right there were so many shots in this that i'm like i could i could totally have a print of this and i would be very very happy about that mm-hmm. so i guess let's let's go back to sort of the the magic mm-hmm aspect of this you know the the first real big one that we get is when uh garwin is at the the christmas party at the castle and his mother isn't there and then it later i only learned this because i was reading the credits later it was his mother and his sisters uh were basically conjuring up a spirit and they like pull a tooth out of a skull and you know there's a feather in there and they put it in this middle of this circle and then it bursts mm-hmm. into flames and grows a plant and then the plant turns into a letter that they're writing <laughs> and then the writer shows up in the green knight's hand when he bursts through the door all that stuff i had no idea what was going on and, and that was sort of the thing where i kind of had to go back and read some reviews later on to kind of help uh understand that for me of possibly but actually it was his mother that was kind of controlling this aspect of manifesting garwin's destiny so Mm -hmm. am am i am i right like are you interpreting that in the same way because that that was a scene that i really struggled with with understanding yeah that's how i took it as i didn't realize they were his sisters i didn't think about that i thought they were just like i don't know i actually didn't think about who the other girls were i I, I was just like oh they're just other witches but yeah looking at the credits there's credited as older sister, sister middle sister and youngest sister Oh, that's so interesting. Um, so. I did get the idea that she was his mom. Is uh, um, I mean, it, it's there's somewhere in the movie that like somebody calls his mom a, a witch, but I did get like you get that sense that he is that she is um a magical person, someone who who is able to do these things. Which sort of makes sense because, you know, in, in this time period, uh, people that were, you know, witches or wizards, you know, the, the sort of Merlin trope is is considered mm-hmm. someone that was a, a highly valued member of uh, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the king or queen's inner circle. They were they were there to provide counsel and, you know, whether or not it was real or not what they were doing, they were they were supposedly the people who could help see the future and understand a path forward as a counselor for them. So it, it makes sense that the king's sister is a witch. And there's another um, 
like an older man that's a part of the king's crew, as it were, um, who every now and then like the king will look at him and he'll kind of like close his eyes and I guess he gets like a premonition and then he'll like nod and be like, yeah, it's like, you're cool. Um, so you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, like magic and especially in, in medieval stories and tales and movies like that, that's, it's a very, very popular thing. And I love that trope too. I think that that's kind of what makes um, those kinds of movies really neat. Like it elevates mm-hmm. them quite a bit. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I did interpret it that way. And one thing that I I thought about was when he cuts the the head off of the green knight and you can see it in the King's face. Um, Sean Harris, by the way, we were talking about mission impossible before and I was, I, I was very excited for this movie because I knew he was in this one. Um, but he, like you can see the look on the King's face where it's just kind of like, like shit, like dude, why'd you do that? And then his <laughs> mom too, like you could see a bit of disappointment in her face of, Oh, like he had to go and do that. Like he didn't, he didn't get it. He didn't understand his, his ego, his hubris went too far and he didn't get it. Like he didn't understand the game. And I, I love that moment of like the two of them just being kind of like, Oh, God damn it. Garwin, what are you doing, man? Like that, that's, I, I really enjoyed those notes. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a few, uh, a few times throughout this film where that sort of comes into play and, and one that I, also, I had to read about to fully get it. Where there's a point where when uh, when Garwin is on his path to the the Green Knight's chapel, and he comes across some some thieves who rob him. He they tie him up and leave him sitting at a tree. And then we get this fantastic shot where the camera starts out on Dev Patel and then does like a full 360 rotation, mm. and then mm-hmm. turns around. And when it gets back to him, he's now just a skeleton. I and love then that. What yeah. happens? is the camera, instead of continuing the direction it was going, it stops and reverses itself back and does another 360 back to Dev Patel. So it basically shows him in a way that if he was he was left for dead, he dies, and so somehow time gets reversed and he ends up being still alive. So it's almost like he was given a second chance to do this. So, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, is this his mother involved? Is this just the the general magic of the of the universe involved? But he does get the opportunity to set himself free because as soon as he gets back suddenly it's like he is imbued with the sense of urgency where he needs to get out of there and so right away he starts like flopping along to try to get to his sword in order to cut himself free but yeah it's a gorgeous shot where it does like two 360 turns and i love it it's very cool like again it's a technically incredible movie like i love i love that like i love the way he uses the camera to show a passage of time and then a reversal of time and then mm-hmm. um you know the the puppet show that they had like showing kids and then they had the spindle in the background that i liked how that kind of showed also passage of time like they whip through the year really quickly um and i enjoyed that like i like that that he he does kind of more creative things even though he does use um they're not subtitles like yeah like subtitles i guess like on the screen like he does write them out and say like one year later he says one too quick year later i think that that's what the, <laughs> yeah. the text was or something like that um but yeah i think the way he did that like just showing the passage of time is is it's very unique like and it's cool and it's it's better than this movie would have been one of those that like a narrator like and i know the movie starts off with narration but this is the kind of movie that I think another director might have chosen to just narrate the whole thing. Cause it is, it's the origins of the story. It's a poem that's mm-hmm. existed for hundreds of years. And so it would be 
appropriate to have a narrator who's like telling this story to kids, for example. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they do have that the puppet show thing. So it, it is obviously getting shown there. But um, did you find it weird, though, that his sword was still there? <laughs> or like, is that his mom's like, do you think that's like another magical thing that his mom's doing? Like, why was his swords left? Why didn't they take it? Why didn't they take his um, his yellow hoodie thing? It's not a hoodie, like not the way we think of hoodies, yeah, but like his that- cape. Yeah, that was that definitely seemed to be odd. I, I don't really know because it seemed like the thieves were definitely um, the main one played by Barry, Barry Keoghan. Definitely was most interested in the axe and the horse and rode mm-hmm. off in order to get the glory of killing the Green Knight himself. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, the rest of it, it's just one of those things where I think you just kind of need to chalk it up as it, it was irrelevant for the thieves, which was yeah. you know interesting. I, I don't know. There, and then there the, isn't they, really and- an answer for me. And they broke the shield too, which I'm like, why would you break that? Like you could use that. (laughs) Like you're living, they're kind of like nomadic people who are just living in the woods. Like you could use this in the future. I I guess guess the idea being there was like an entire battlefield of dead people and they were already looting them. There was more than enough shield and swords. Yeah, true. Yeah, true, true. Clothes. I don't know. So yeah, that's tricky. But, uh, and then uh, another really interesting magical scene the, the, this is our last one I'll, I'll talk about is when he meets St. Winifred. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's this, there's a moment where it sort of, there's this weird line of humor. Uh, every once in a while, there's, there's a couple lines of humor in this movie that are just like so out of left field where you just do not expect it. Yeah. It makes the joke hit even harder. And I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but it was just really funny where clearly she's a ghost, but she doesn't, really look like a ghost she looks real enough and he goes to like reach out and touch her to confirm if she's real or not she goes don't touch me <laughs> yeah why would you do that <laughs> also okay so i watched it twice as we've said i will say in both times i watched it so once with press and then once just at a normal screening that got a laugh both times it yeah, got a nice. laugh both times so it's it's funny like i i like that like his because dev to tell just kind of looks like Anytime I see a ghost, I, I think of Casper. Like, I, Casper was years ago, but like, it's just, I guess from childhood, it's just stuck with me. But I just like, it's, he seems like a little kid that's like trying to touch Casper to be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, are you yeah, real? Yeah. And then I like, you know, she does a really good line reading of that. I've just been like, don't touch me. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> a knight should know that. Or actually, yeah, yeah, a knight should know that. Says, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good, it's a great line. Yeah. That that whole sequence is like it's so weird because it's probably the scariest scene of the whole movie, and then also it's probably the funniest scene of the whole movie. Yeah, and then also it has probably some of the most striking shots of him diving into the water and like yeah. it's all red and he's reaching out to the to grab the skull at the bottom of the the lake. So like that that scene kind of has everything going for it. I love that. That was probably my favorite sequence. Uh, mm. This is my favorite sequence. Probably not. I, the end sequence is probably my favorite sequence, but my favorite scene. Yeah, I would say it's that one. I, I thought it was, it was so interesting too to like understand because I was interested in her. I think that yeah. was the thing. I was really interested in her story and, you know, w- what would happen with her down the line. Like I, I was very invested in that character, and um, yeah, I, I really like that. And like you said, the color, color is such a big thing in this movie. Like, obviously, it's called the Green Knight, so maybe we shouldn't be not surprised by it but um like lowry uses color really really effectively in this like and, and it's it's very obvious um but not heavy-handed which i find impressive 
So I want to kind of talk about your review that you wrote where I, I think mm-hmm. you, you kind of hit on something really interesting and this idea of it being almost video game like like an RPG <laughs> yeah. one. And and it reminds me a little bit of uh, of the Sam Mendes film uh, from a couple of years ago, uh, 1914. I think I'm scoring up the year. 1916. 1917. 1917. Wow, thank you. I couldn't remember that. <laughs> where that was something that was... Uh, almost accused of that about that movie that it was very video gamey that it was very much like mm-hmm. okay you complete a challenge and then you move on to the next one and you wrote mm-hmm. about that being sort of similar now i don't know if you're saying that as a positive or a negative or not but i, but I sort of love to hear more about your train of thought on on, on that concept because I, I thought that was a fantastic way of, of looking at the movie Oh, thank. Yeah, I don't think it, it it's neither positive nor negative to be honest i just thought it's it's interesting Video games to me, I, I'm not a massive gamer, um, but I do like, there's a couple games that I really like. Um, d- there's a game called Dark Souls for anybody who's familiar with it that I really love that movie or movie. I really love that game. And I really love the story behind that game, like the lore behind it. And this Green Knight, the reason I wrote that was because while I was watching the Green Knight, I was just thinking about Dark Souls and like the back of my head, like the different levels of Dark Souls and the way that Dark Souls is laid out in in this kind of these maps that you go to different places. Um, And I always thought it was interesting with video games that it's been very difficult for Hollywood to adapt a good, a a good video game movie. Um, It's, I don't know what the deal is, but it's, it's, there's not many great ones out there. I would actually say that the ones that are quote unquote good, we like them because they're kind of like bad, good, if that makes sense. Like they're a little cheesy and they're kind of just fun. But which is such a shame because video games actually have a really deep storyline to them. Like really good video games always have really good storylines to them and they construct the game according to the story. And it like you move through it really fluidly and it's, it's really nice. And the green Knight to me just really struck me as this is a video game. This is him. You know, I, I say it, I say it in the review, but it's like, there's, there's a trailer at the beginning where it's, you set up the the quest you're given your quest and then you're on your way and you go and you hit different mini bosses and different fights along the way. And, and you find NPCs, like you said, and all that. And I just found it an interesting thing. And um, it would be interesting to know if, if Lowry, if he intended it to be like that, but it doesn't surprise me that much just because like I said, video games, like good ones, good, good RPG games, they really do follow a storyline in the exact same way that a movie does. It's just you're controlling it and you're fighting, get collecting credits, completing missions, so on and so forth. So I, I just, it was something that kept nagging at me. And then at the end, maybe this was something too, that maybe it kind of dampened the first time I watched it, why I wasn't overly enthused about it was every video game ends in a big boss fight. Like that's, that's, you get to the, to the end of your video game and it's, a big boss that you're you're fighting and hopefully that boss is well constructed it's a hard fight it's not too like it's not impossible but it's it's difficult and i kind of thought oh this is leading up to something like that and then of course it doesn't it doesn't lead to that at all um but yeah i it was just something that 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 was that became apparent to me while i was watching it probably about the time after the thieves when they he after gong comes across the thieves that i realized like this there was a bit of a trend there Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was a very interesting theory and, and I liked reading about it. It just sort of gave me a different interpretation and take on the film. And I'm, and I'm glad that you had written about that because that is one that I, I liked hearing about. 
Thank you. See, David Ehrlich's not giving these things, is he? <laughs> no, he is not. So screw him. Uh, <laughs> are there any other major kind of scenes or moments you, you kind of want to talk about? Obviously, I'd, it would be impossible to rehash the entire movie. Mm-hmm. But, uh, is there any other big stuff you want to kind of uh, hash out? We can't really get into it um, because it would be overly spoiler. But the last sequence in the movie, like that kind of last big one, mm-hmm. just speaking on it in very vague terms, um, it is probably there's no dialogue through that entire. I don't know how many minutes it was, but there's no dialogue in it, and it yet it is the most compelling part of the movie, in my opinion, was that section. Was that last? Let's call it ten minutes, like the last ten minutes of the movie, where you know you you there's a bit of a flash forward, but anyways, it's it's incredibly compelling, and in the, the I love the way that Lowry tells the story um, using. Like I said, no dialogue, but it's it's just Death Patel is amazing in it. Like I think that 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 last ten minutes is kind of that's everything for Dev Patel. Like he he's so mm-hmm. good in this movie, um, and it to me it really kind of punctuates right at the end there. And Alicia yeah. Vikander, I should say too, she's amazing in it as well. Like she 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 really shines in those last bits there. Um, yeah, what actually? Let's backtrack a little bit even before that when they go into the castle. Uh, with the Lord and the lady, I suppose. What did you think the old lady, what was her deal? Where, where did you, what did you get on her? That, yeah, that's tough. So I guess for everyone that, I guess everyone has seen this, if you're listening to it, if not, but there it's Joel Edgerton and Alicia Vikander popping up mm-hmm. in a second role. And that really kind of weirded me out. I'm like, I thought Alicia Vikander was, you know, the the prostitute at the beginning of the movie. What the hell's going mm-hmm. on? Is, and then I realized, I'm like, oh no, she's playing both parts. Um, and they're living together. I, I don't know if they are a couple. I imagine if their names are the Lord and the Lady, they are. Um, and then blind woman older woman i'm guessing one of their mothers lives with them uh and she just kind of sits there silently seemingly watching despite the (laughs) fact that she has a blindfold on because she's always there and it always seems like she's judging you for what you're doing Um, and doesn't say a word has nothing which is the worst kind of judgment yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that that was that was also another very sort of tricky aspect to get where you know joel edgerton's lord also wants to play a game much like the green knight and so you wonder if there's maybe a bit of a connection there and then later on elisa vikander's lady says a line about uh enchanted belt that she claims that she made but she describes in the exact same way that uh, garwin's mother described to him when she made it and this was a belt that was stolen by the by the scavengers so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel like i'm just kind of like rehashing plot devices like what what actually happened but like yeah that that was this was another really difficult scene to comprehend what was going on and in the sort of mental games that were being Mm -hmm. played in this in the end you know the lord also wants to play a game where he says whatever you get in this castle uh, i want as well (laughs) and i will give you whatever i bring back from the hunt and so um, the lady kisses him and then later he kisses the Lord as that was what he claimed that he got in the castle, you know, ignoring the fact that he also got the, the magic belt, uh, with some extraness to it. 
Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to be vague for that because I don't really want to talk about it too much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so definitely, definitely a bit of like a, 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 a mind twist of a castle where there's clearly some, some strong uh, bisexual energy going on in that place with this creepy old blind lady watching everything. I feel like, the, okay, the blind woman to me, she represents why people don't like the movie. Not because she's blind. Sorry, I don't know. I focused on the blind. <laughs> I'm not saying this is like an ableist situation here. I'm just saying. I people think are blind and they can't yeah. see what is in front of them. People are really upset about that. They just don't care for it. Um, no, but I feel like because the old woman, she is there and clearly like she is meant to represent something. Like, I don't think she's just there to be there. You know, like she's no. she is meant to represent something. And it's on us as an audience to interpret the movie and put it all together and say, oh, okay, that, that's, that's what she is. But I feel like that's why people don't like the movie because you look at it and you go like, what the bleep is that? Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, like what, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and it's not, the reason I, I feel like it's, it's, it's slightly patronizing in many ways to be like, oh, well, wide audiences don't get it. It's like, there's a good group of people who go, I go to the movies to watch movies to be entertained. That's it. Mm-hmm. I, and and it's not that they're stupid. It's not that they're looking to be spoon-fed film, like stories and symbolism and those kinds of things. I don't think that that's the case at all. But then when you kind of come across something so random like this, this is where you lose the people who are just like, I just wanted to come in and watch like a couple hours of like a cool medieval movie. And you're well, giving hey, me this weekend Jungle Cruise <laughs> came out. Those people yeah, should have but... <laughs> saw that instead. But it's like Inception is a good I always like go to Inception as a movie as like it had massive like appeal, right? Like everybody seemed to love it. Critics like it. Um general, like let's call them general film goers, people who maybe only go to see a couple movies a year at the theater. They all loved it too because, you know, it was an interesting story and it it doesn't talk down. I know there's a lot of exposition in it, but it doesn't really talk down to people. It makes you like you have to think, you have to process, you have to put it together. But it it's there. Like all the pieces are there for you to put it together. This one though, it's like it's just so random. It's really out there and you and I don't know if maybe there needs to be knowledge about the poem about King Arthur, about, you know, mm. maybe maybe there's something we're missing in that sense because I'm not familiar at all with with the um, the original poem or anything like that. So maybe maybe we're missing something in that way, but I feel like it's things like that that are that are really turning off a lot of people when they watch it because they just go it just doesn't make any sense. Like it's just stupid. You know, and I, and I sure. I see where they're coming from in a sense. I bet you right now there is a critic that is working on an essay about this movie and in a month or two it's going to come out and it's going to be like 20,000 words. <laughs> because these types yeah. of movies always inspire that type of, of, of critical yeah. writing where someone is going to deconstruct everything that is going on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, David Lowry is definitely the type of director. He did not put that woman in here in the, in, in the movie just because, because she looks yeah. cool because she's blind and, and has a nice costume going on. No, there, there, there's a very specific reason. And maybe if we did know the poem better or, or understanding that sort of stuff, it would make me make a bit more sense. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is a, a narrative device reason why she's in there, what, especially the, the, the concept of not being able to see things. That is a very powerful mm-hmm. trope to use. And so what does that, what does that mean? And so there, there, yeah, so there's a few things in this where you just sort of wonder what it all means. And I, I mentioned how, uh, Alicia Vikander's lady gives a speech that sounds almost word for word. You can probably speak to this better than I can almost word for word of what uh, Garwin's mother said at the beginning when she gives him the belt too. Yeah. That can't be a coincidence either. Why, why is she saying that? And, you know, Joel Edgerton's Lord says this house does funny things. So Mm -hmm. are we to understand that the entire house may not even be real? This entire castle is not real or, or maybe it's real and everything that's happening inside is all imagined or all magic or, or what have you, Are, are, are these people really existing? Especially since, you have Alicia Vikander playing two characters, which mm-hmm. sort of symbolize the same person. Uh, the lady would be someone that Garwin could marry and, and could have a life with. And whereas the prostitute, Essel, that she plays at the beginning, she wants him to admit that he loves her and can see a life together with him. And he won't say that. So he can't marry her because of her standing and, and that sort of thing. Like, are, is it supposed to be the same woman just in different versions of herself? Like all that sort of stuff. What's happening in this castle? And I, like, there's going to be people who love to sit down. And I mean, in normal times you sit down like a coffee shop and, and just chat about it after the movie. You know, and then in that sense, I think this movie's quite a success in that it will get it create it generates a ton of discussion. Like you said, there is going to be a ton of film essays and probably books that are going to come out about this. And you know, it's going to be one that I think film critics in particular are going to be talking about it for ages. Like it's film essayists. Like it's going to be a movie that is going to endure for a very very long time for reasons that a lot of people might think are kind of pretentious like i'll throw that word out there like they might Mm -hmm. think it's a little bit pretentious you know and maybe it is and i mean to each is their own you know i don't i don't think i don't i really don't believe that movies need to be made for everybody like we have marvel for that we don't need every other studio to do something like that so that's and you know it goes back to what is a24 what 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 is an a24 movie and i think green knight actually is probably one of the strongest definitions of what is an A24 movie. It's one that just creates a lot of strong reactions, a lot of discussion and is borderline pretentious. Yeah. And and I think that's basically all you can really ask for. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm so happy that I got to see this in theaters. This, yeah, I would have been so upset if I would have had to watch this at home. I'm glad that it was like my theater was mostly packed as far as, you know, COVID COVID standards go where you had to have two empty seats on either side of you and no one could sit directly behind you, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I I got there fairly early in, in the movie. The theater was already probably about um, a quarter full of what eventually became. And so I was sitting in the balcony in the first row, so I wasn't able to tell who was coming down in the main section and then who was also mm-hmm. coming behind me. But when the movie ended, there was a lot of people leaving the theater and like, of course, everyone was like chatting right away about it. So mm-hmm. obviously that's, it, it had to be a good thing where, where people were, were discussing it right away. And I'm so happy that a movie like this is able to pull out the crowds because yeah, even if you're not a fan of it and if you walk away and you're like, I didn't like it, I think it's still the type of movie if you're willing to have a discussion about film and about yeah. filmmaking art, this is yeah. the type of movie that I love to see made. You can hate this movie and I will be so happy that you went out and saw it. 
hundred percent. Yeah. And, and to your point of, of being happy to be able to watch it in movies, like, so where I'm at, I'm in Ontario and we only had movie theaters open like a few weeks ago now, maybe, maybe close to a month now. Um, but there, there would have been a reality of if we were still closed, like we would, I wouldn't have been able to. I would have watched it on my computer or something like on my TV at home. Which yeah. this movie is one that watching it in a theater with the massive screen, because like I said before, you know all the colors and the 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 tableaus as you called them, it's perfect. It's beautiful, and to see it in such a massive, massive screen is is kind of that's that's how it should be and then one aspect i know you and i both love this was the sound design mm-hmm. um i don't care how good your system is unless you are shelling out for like a lot of money in a home theater yeah. most people aren't going to have a sound system that can can do what a movie theater can do for a movie like this that you know when the green knight first arrives at the uh you know the knights of the round table meeting um he gets off of his horse and you can just hear the creaking and cracking and every movement that he makes, every step that he takes. Um, I'm getting into like the police song there, but you know, like he's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can, you can hear like he's made out of like a tree, right? So it's, you yeah. can hear the, the bark and the cracking of, of it. And I, I love that. And even a, there was a really small thing that I loved was, when he the green knight hands the letter over to the king and then the queen is the one who opens it up and mm-hmm. and reads it out it's such a small thing but when so the 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 letter is sealed with a wax seal right because it's medieval when she cracks time. it open when she cracks it open oh that's that, such a satisfying sound it was so satisfying hearing that it's just like it, she cracks it open and it splits perfectly down the page and it was just one of those mm-hmm. i'm just like that is the most satisfying sound I've heard in a really long time. Um, yeah. But it's in a movie theater that you can really appreciate stuff like that. And I'm so thankful that I, you know, our movie theaters opened up in time um, for us to be able to actually you know, enjoy it in a movie theater with other people. Like you said, like it's a cool thing when you can leave a theater and everyone's just talking about it. And there's some, there was like a group of, younger guys that were sitting behind me and i could just hear one of them at the end go like what the hell was that and i was like yeah like yeah talk about it. it's fun like what the hell was that i don't know you know yeah, and and yeah. it's it's interesting like i i i love that like i love that we got the movie theater experience for it so i'm i'm happy yeah. that i'm happy they held off releasing it until now mm-hmm. yeah those, those are the experiences that that you you just live for as a movie fan mm-hmm. absolutely yeah all right. Uh, I, I I feel like we could probably talk about the actual <laughs> movie itself for like another five hours, but uh, I'm going to switch things up and we're going to get into our little fun section now. And we're going to start out with our double bill pairing. So this is as usual. We have to name a double bill movie to pair with The Green Knight, but it cannot be another A24 film. And so, Rachel, what was your double bill pairing for The Green Knight? Okay. So last time I um, I bent the rules a little and I chose a TV show. And I'm going to bend the, the rule. Box. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bend the rules a little again and give two Uh-oh. options. And there's a good okay. reason for that. So my original, my original double pairing was, it's kind of silly, but I don't think it's that silly. It, uh, the Sword and the Stone, uh, the Disney movie from 1963. I did realize mm-hmm. it was that old, actually. Have you seen it when you were a kid? Uh, I believe when I was a kid. I, I don't have yeah. any real recollection of it, but I'm, I'm sure I saw it at one point. 
it is like one of my favorite Disney movies ever created. And it's one of the most like forgotten ones. Like people, I don't know why it's so good though. Like Merlin is great. And anyways, it's the reason I initially chose it was I wanted to try to find something that was along the King Arthur, you know, legend, the King Arthur tale, but it's, it's tricky trying to find something because Everything it, it it doesn't go with this, and so for me, I thought nothing goes with with this movie because it is so unique. Like the Green Knight is incredibly unique, which is a real achievement in especially today. Like there's, it, it feels like we don't have very many original films, original movies out there anymore. And even though this is an interpretation of a tale that's literally hundreds of years old, the interpretation of it is incredibly unique. So I thought it's so serious. And it's so strange. Go with a really heartwarming Disney movie <laughs> that will send you back to childhood and it's just fun and it's enjoyable. So that was the original one that I had thought of. Okay. But I recently um, watched a, a screener for a movie called Nine Days. You are being considered for the amazing opportunity of life. If you are selected, you will have the chance to be born in a fruitful environment where you can grow, develop, and accomplish. Am I dead? I wouldn't say you're alive or dead. It's coming out uh, August 6th in Canada and in the States as well, August 6th. I believe New York and LA already have it. It's a movie. It stars Winston Duke, um, Benedict Wong, uh, who else is in it? Zazie Beetz, Tony Hale, uh, and Bill Skarsgård. So it's a pretty, it's, it's a movie about, without giving too much away, it's about life. Like it's a movie about life. And for me, I found The Green Knight, the notes that I took away from it, as unsure as I am about the movie the things i love about it was this kid at the beginning who he just wants to make something of himself you know when the king says to him when he when the uh, garwin comes in in the the knights of the round table and the king says come sit sit next to me and he goes tell me tell me a story like tell me a tale and garwin goes i don't have one like i i i haven't lived like i haven't done anything worthy of a tale and it reminded me of when I was in university and I, believe it or not, we had to do interviews to join extracurricular clubs. And one of the questions in a club that I was interviewing for was, what's your proudest achievement? I was like 19 at the time. And I literally had nothing that I was like, I was like, I'm 19. Like, I haven't done anything that I think <laughs> is remotely something that I could sit here and be like, this is my proudest achievement in life. And it always stuck with me like that, that question. Cause I was like, what is, and so when I watched it on the green night, I thought, God, like, I was Garwin. Like I was like, I think we all were, we all had that moment when we were young of wanting to achieve a lot. And Alicia Vikander's character, um, Esther, she has a great line where she says like, everyone's so like, I'm paraphrasing here, but she's basically everyone's so obsessed with greatness. What's wrong with goodness? You know? And I definitely fall into that category of saying like, you want to do the greatest thing in life. And, and as you get older, you realize the reason that greatness is great is because not many people actually get to achieve it. And without spoiling the green Knight, there does come a moment where he's just like, is this all there is? 
and that hit me actually quite a bit. I was just like, yeah, is this all there is? So when I was watching the movie Nine Days, it has similar themes. Like it's about life and it's about the importance of life and what's the point of life. Um, and it looks at kind of the beauty of life as well. So I want to, I'm, ch- I'm going to take out the sword and the stone. I'm going to put nine days in, especially because it's coming out next uh, or this coming Friday. Um, and you can literally go and do a double billing of it because you can go to the theater and you can watch <laughs> both of those movies. So I thought that would be more appropriate. Okay. That's, that's a very interesting one that can't even talk about or compare it because no one else has seen it yet. So <laughs> going to have to take your word on that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I do find that a little bit interesting about the the sword and the stone pairing. I think, I think that's a good one. I, uh, I, I, I came out of this and I was like, I don't think there's any sort of Arthurian type of movie that you can compare it to. You know, I talked about kingdom of heaven a bit earlier, mm-hmm. but that's a bit of a, you know, a contemplative film, but still has significant action scenes where this really doesn't have anything quite like that. Um, and so I, I sort of was, was trying to think about like what Monty Python, the Holy grail. No, that's, that's ridiculous. That wouldn't really work at all. And, and after that, the pickings get real slim because you get either really cheesy ones or nothing really exists quite like it. So I just like, you know, what? just get past that completely. I'm not even going to compare it to a movie like this. And so I went in a complete opposite direction and you're going to have to bear with me for just a moment. The movie I'm picking is. Eyes Wide Shut. Have you seen oh, this movie? Okay. Yeah, I have. I have. Okay. So here, here's where you need to stick with me. Okay. Both movies were sort of mischaracterized of their genre and what huh. it was to be expected. The okay. Green Knight was marketed as this medieval epic, but instead it's kind of a cold and mysterious meditative film about loyalty, bravery, and making a name for yourself. Eyes Wide Shut was viewed as an erotic thriller with Tom Cruise's Dr. William invading a secretive cult, sex cult, really. Uh, That film wasn't that either. It was more about one man's quest to understand why his life and marriage was falling apart. So these, I'm pairing these because they're two movies that are there to sort of subvert your expectations of what the genre is supposed to be and what they are and how they actually end up being. I like that. That's very cool, especially because that was... I mean that entire idea of of expectations not being met because of the marketing, because of the trailers and all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't have that with Eyes Wide Shut because when that came out, we were we were a little young, and I watched it like quite a few years after it came out. But that's really int- I like that. I like that you put those together for that reason. That's very creative because I know that you were saying like you had no idea. Like you, it, yeah. It's tough pairing another medieval movie with this. Like, I really think it's difficult too. Um, that's interesting. I wonder how that would be watching it in a, in a double billing. Like, actually sitting back to back and watching those two. There is commonalities in like um, both movies are are quite sexy in a way, but for d- very different reasons. <laughs> like, they're quite sexy, yeah, but. I guess so. They have that. They have that kind of underlying thing of like there is there is like sex appeal in both. Obviously, in Eyes Wide Shut, but in The Green Knight as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, all right, so now we're gonna go into our our next fun little game, and that's uh, do you want to play a game? I feel like I'm Jigsaw doing uh, <laughs> the Green Knight impression. Um, what would you rather do? So so hit me with a would you rather question. So I'm in previous ones we've we've gone like within the movie like a concept within the movie but i'm actually going to look at it 
as a movie, like as like a tangible film. So I'm going to say to you, okay. would you rather have a continuation on of where the thieves went to and what they did or uh, to Winifred? Like what happens to her after? Whose story would you rather follow? They're both actually oh. pretty interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, th- you know, you know, I think would be even a tougher decision if you had said the Lord and the lady mm, or, yeah. uh, Winifred. Put all oh. three. So those are your three oh. like side quests. Those were the three side okay. quests of the, of the, of the game. Which I, one? Definitely, yeah. I, I think, I think I could probably take out the scavengers, mm-hmm. you know, they're just little mischievous little bastards. <laughs> uh, Winifred one is really interesting mm-hmm. because I feel like her entire tale could be a, an interesting one where she kind of tells it, but actually seeing that and and seeing what it's like for her to wait for someone to come by to be able to rescue her her head from the bottom of the lake. Does she only come out at night? Does she only come out when it's the full moon? Mm-hmm. Does it have to be someone who is you know pure of heart? That sort of Arthurian um, tale, like backstory trope that they use. So all that sort of stuff would be really interesting to to kind of do and i think that could make for a pretty good like uh ghost film spooky mm-hmm. horror film uh but then also i i kind of like the idea of, of maybe exploring more about the lord and the lady especially with this castle that may not be as what it seems so i think that would be kind of a, a curious interesting one too where i'd probably want mo- if i was to like pay a ticket i'm not good with ghosts so i'd probably go <laughs> with uh go with that one especially if we learn what the old lady was all about yeah, that's true. Actually, the old lady would be like, I mean, but it might it might be she's literally just in the corner the whole time. Yeah, yeah, she can't. I think maybe you know she can't see because she saw something once that she cannot see again, or was not supposed to see, and that was her punishment or something like that. <laughs> that's so, I don't pretty. Know. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> like they did something so abhorrent. She was like her eyes just like she's like my eyes they're done (laughs) was it self-inflicted or did someone do it to her (laughs) yeah that's pretty funny uh all right what what about you do you have an answer for that probably winifred just because i find her i I, like that was literally like the most captivating thing in the movies to me like it was just so interesting and um i wish i had her name her name her her first name is carrie i know that because she was in uh kelly yeah an mcu show but she's She's great. Like she has such a look, doesn't she? Yeah, like it's it's perfect. Like it's they made Aaron her Kellyman. Kellyman, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, they made her really pale, um, which is obviously because you're a ghost. Um, but and and like I like that they kept like her hair was red. Uh, the way she dressed, like I like that she hovered across the board. Like she was really good. Oh, like God, she was, yeah. so she was so. She played it perfectly. And then I just think the story is interesting, you know, like the story of of how she ended up dead. And now she's like, oh, like did one line that gets me is she goes, did my father send for you? It's yes. like she's she's What's this girl. Then? Yeah, she's a girl that that, you know, for various reasons, she's dead and she's in this cabin in the middle of the woods. And all she wants to know is like, does my dad even care that I'm gone kind of thing? Like. I, I, that would probably be the one I would actually say too, though, the thieves are interesting just saying like they're kids and you want to know if they went to try to find, you know, the green chapel, what happened to them? (laughs) Like, how did they do? How'd they do? You know, like we get a glimpse of them later on in the film, but like nothing substantial, but, um, or of one of them anyways. And 
yeah, I don't know. I they they would be interesting as well. Like it would be an interesting piece to kind of continue on with. All right, so you're ready for mine? Yes. Okay. Where would you rather spend Christmas? Would it be at a brothel or a house of ill repute, however you want to characterize what was going on in that fun house, or at a stuffy castle with relatives you don't know very well? Oh, the brothel. Come on, that's that's the answer, right? <laughs> 100% the brothel. I wouldn't want to, especially that castle. Like, that's yeah weird. 100% the brothel. I think it'd be more fun. It would be yeah. a much more relaxed situation. You know, you don't have to be as, as on guard and um, proper, I suppose is a good way to say it. It would just be more fun. I think it would just be a lot yeah. more fun. Like I, I'm not I'm not a huge like drinker or anything like that, but like yeah, I think that would be a great time. <laughs> is that it looks like when they're there, they're they're gambling a little bit, they're drinking, you know, if you want to have sex, it's there too. Yeah. Like yeah, anything you really want. Literally the world is your oyster in a brothel. Like <laughs> if you that, got the money. Let that be known. The world is your oyster. <laughs> when you got money in a brothel, it's it's yeah. everything. Yeah, is that your answer too, the brothel? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun though. That would be interesting. I wonder. I wonder if it's fun in our head, but then if we actually got there, we would be the people there in the corner that you're like, don't touch anything. Everything has syphilis. Yeah, you're just like, don't just just like, what is it? You put like like socks on your hands, and you're just like, I'm just not going to touch anything right now. <laughs> can, like, can I lay a napkin down on this seat? Please? Yeah, exactly. And we would just be like the most prudish people there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so I think that sort of wraps up our discussion of the Green Knight. I, I know I feel like we kind of only scratched the surface, yeah. but uh, but I think that was still a fun discussion, and, and really talking with you uh, helped sort of make me understand the movie a bit more and solidify my feelings that I really like this movie quite a bit. Uh, and I know you're probably being like, yeah, solidified my, solidified my feelings in the opposite <laughs> direction, but uh, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> I I will say so there was a quote that um I read in an interview on the rap by Sean Abrams that I just want to throw out there was um that I for me like I I've been having a bit of a tough time kind of nailing down exactly how I feel um about this movie and whether or not not whether or not I like it or not like I think I think I can safely say I do like it like I like a lot of elements of it um and I like how interesting it is but um he he had a pretty negative review um, so it was Simon Abrams. Abrams? Yeah. And uh, he, at the very end of his review, he finishes it with, like, the movie's never as compelling as it is unusual. And I think that, for me, really puts, like, that. that's it. It's It's a really unusual movie. And it kind of feels like it's unusual for the sake of being unusual. And it's not as interesting as you would think an unusual movie would be. Does that make any sense? Like for as as interesting as some of the scenes were, like like I said, the last sequence, um, the whole scene with the with the Lady Winfred, like those are really cool. But for a lot of the movie, like it's a it's a relatively long movie too. Like we're talking, I think it's just, I think it's two ten, like, like it's, two hours ten minutes, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a long movie, and there's a lot in it that you can just kind of. Like you could close your eyes and open and you would still be fine. Like you would still be kind of, you might miss a few details here and there. Sure. But like you would, you would still be fine to follow what is going on in the story. So I feel like, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still very much so on the fence about this movie. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, but I I love I love that quote that uh, that Mr. Abrams wrote. So his that's in the uh, the wrap. Yeah, so I'm gonna look at that one too because because maybe that'll help me a bit as well. Maybe it'll make me like it even more. <laughs> but uh, Rachel, where where can everyone find you and more of your work? I can oh, get... yeah, especially now since you have to plug your new Instagram account too. Oh gosh, yeah. So I'm on website is rachelkh.com. Um, yeah, and I set up an Instagram account. I'm just kind of trying it out, um, see how it's going. I grabbed a few different names, and I have landed now on underscore pop pop quiz hotshot. And if you know where that's from, then we can be friends. Then you pass the pop quiz. You, yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I will give I will give listeners a hint. If you listen to the Better Know a Contributor episode, the there last you week's episode, you'll probably get the answer there. Yes. Uh, did you, other than your your recent review of the Green Knight, is there anything else that you've worked on uh, that you uh, want to plug? I've got a Stillwater review out with Exclaim, and I actually just put a blog new blog post up of my ten most anticipated movies for the rest of the year. So Green Knight was definitely oh, for the full year. We've just started, it's uh, August 1st that we're recording on. And um, yeah, so I was just looking at the remainder of 2021, especially because now we're going into movies that are like award contenders, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just jotted down like 10 movies that I'm really looking forward to. And I'd be interested to hear yours, Dakota, and anybody else's that's listening. Yeah, that's, uh, I might have to write like a companion piece to it because really I think the movie year is just starting now. Yeah, 100%. This this release is like the, the beginning of the movie year for me. 10 was actually really difficult to, like I had a much longer list and then I thought this is too long. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is just silly. Like now I'm just naming every single movie that's My coming 53 out. 53 movies I'm excited about. Yeah, so I was like, let's just, we'll bring it down to 10 and it's a strong 10. And they're like, like I said, there's ones that are left off that, um, I, I am very much so looking forward to to seeing. But yeah, the, I, I got my 10 up on my site right now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Well, make sure you follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Uh, and if you've seen The Green Knight, let us know your thoughts. And if you can make any more sense of it than we <laughs> just try to do, feel like we're fiddling around in the dark sort of thing, uh, send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.